there may be some heaviness that you're feeling after the finding of the unmarked grave of the 215 children at the residential schools. And being an Indigenous person right now is hard. And today, you're going to hear from a very proud and really powerful Indigenous woman and talking about life after residential schools, about her history, her culture, and it's going to help you to know what your next steps should be. You're listening to the Dynamic Women podcast. Each week, you'll be inspired by our global community of women. They'll share with you tools and stories to help you be dynamic in every area of life. He's your host, award-winning coach, and the CEO and founder of Dynamic Women, Diane Ralston. Hello, lovely Dynamic Women, and welcome to the Dynamic Women podcast. I am Diane Ralston, your host, and today we have Deanna Lewis here with us today, who's going to talk about all things around Indigenous people and really how we can increase our knowledge of the history. And we can also hear some really amazing personal stories that Deanna is going to to share with us today. Hi, Deanna. Hi. Hi. Thanks so much for being here. And I wanted to um, first do the land acknowledgement. It's really important um, that I'm going to do one just for, it might sound different than those of you who are in the BC area. This one is mainly for, uh, cause we have people in all different areas that are listening to this podcast. And so I thought this one was more appropriate. So I'd like to begin by acknowledging the indigenous peoples of all the lands that we are on today. While we meet today on a virtual platform, I would like to take a moment to acknowledge the importance of the lands, which we each call home. And we do this to reaffirm our commitment and responsibility in improving relationships with between nations and to improving our own understanding of local Indigenous peoples and their cultures. From coast to coast, whether it be in Canada or wherever you are from, we acknowledge the ancestral and unceded territory of all the Inuit, Métis, and First Nations people that call this land home. So please join me in a moment of reflection to acknowledge the harms and mistakes of the past and to consider how we are and each can in our own way try to move forward in a spirit of reconciliation and collaboration. So Deanna, why don't you start off tell us a little bit about you um and just for my listeners i just want to know you to know that we play soccer together and uh i am so grateful that i've been brought in welcomed into the squamish united team soccer team and so that's our personal connection and then i hear you know that you you tell me that you teach about indigenous culture but tell us about who you are Diana Lewis Queensma, Tanatantla, Chiakamas Ochumel, Sanach Ochumel, Anwanak, Tinsqualoen, Tinchkanwatomia. So I said good day to you all. My ancestral name is Kokle, which means a cannibal woman. Mm-hmm. And that name is uh, said up and down the coast of British Columbia. And in every Indigenous language, they have a different name for her. Mm-hmm. So when I say I'm Kokle, they know that I'm, I'm Squamish. Uh-huh. And uh, so it's really, our names are describing of your places that you live in in your surroundings and so uh, I live up in the mountains I'm a bigger woman you know I actually got the name because I had bigger muscles than all the guys up in my canoe club <laughs> 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 um, so I earned that name wow. and uh, 
but my English name's Deanna Lewis and I come from the Chiaquis yeah. village up here in the Squamish Valley. It's the farthest village that our people still reside in today oh, wow. and towards Whistler. And then yeah. also, I also mentioned that I'm from Sanach because Sanach is Kitsilano. Mm-hmm. That's where my, my mm-hmm. grandfather, my great grandparents, they were all born there. Mm-hmm. And so uh, in the 1913, they were actually removed from those lands, said we leased our lands for a hundred years for a hundred dollars a year. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is all about some of that history of our people. And so that was our winter home, Sanok, and Chiakamish was our summer homes. And because in Vancouver, in Kemkamlai, they had milder winters there. And so that's why we were there. Yeah. Um, so I, I always mention the two because those were we, we lived half the year at a time. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that that was a thing. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And so you, you shared with us your name, but you have another name, Deanna Lewis. So yeah. share. And now I know a little bit of the story about where Lewis came yeah. from, but would love to hear you share with the listeners. Yeah. So my grandfather, his name's Chaitlam, and that's his ancestral name. And Norman Lewis was his English name. Mm-hmm. And so we always say we have these given nicknames and the nicknames, the English names. So I always make sure I raise, I say my ancestral name first because that names were given to me by my own people. Yeah. Um, a crazy story was my grandfather, uh, he was born in 1920 and um, they had Indian agents that lived on their, their, in their villages and they could say when you could leave you know, you have to have a permit to leave your reserves. And uh, you weren't allowed to leave the reserve for over four years, so you could lose your status. And status was important because they would tell you, you know, they helped pay for our health care, our education, and things like that. And, uh, and still today, but you'd have to have written permission to leave. And my grandfather actually went to war and stuff as well. And he was lucky enough that he had to get sent home from war because his unit got TB and there was a it, it was almost at the four-year mark but he got sent home and so he never lost his status which was really important for my family but going back and these are all laws of the Indian Act so there was laws of these these land laws about these permits to leave the reserve woman status laws and there was laws to go to residential school well my grandpa his first language was Skohotmish Skohotmish mm-hmm. when I was speaking to you first and uh, it's always important for me to speak my language first because it helps me to know that my ancestors are listening and with me right now um, and my grandfather's with me and so he went to he was uh, born on on Christmas day actually oh. and uh, so he started school early so he was just over four and a half when he started school and he went to St. Paul's residential school in North Vancouver, mm. but he lived in the valley here. And they always send you somewhere where your family isn't. And so you wouldn't go to the residential school down the street from you. You would go, you'd be shipped somewhere else. And that was part of that isolation piece um, that the government was doing to our people at the time. So that's where my grandfather went. His first day there, they were hit, they were hitting him and talking to him in English, a language he never spoke and didn't know. And someone whispered under their breath in Skohotmish saying, they're asking your name. And my grandpa said, well, and he was finally happy, like, and they stopped hitting me, you know, he's thinking in his mind. So he said, Chatlam, Chatlam. And, and they were hitting him more, if not worse, because he was speaking indigenous language. Yeah. And, and so he was, you know, really upset about that. And they said, uh, they're like, you're not allowed to speak that language. And he learned later on that 
he wasn't allowed. So they only called them boy or his number. It, everyone had their numbers on their shirts, their clothing, their wow. desk, their bed. And uh, he, he, you know what? He's never mentioned what that number was to me. He, you know, he was just so upset never that, you know, he felt like a jail. Yeah. I felt like he was a person from jail with a number, you know? Yeah. And when he was seven years old, uh, so two years into residential school, he said that this Indian, his Indian agent came from his reserve and said, we gave all your family English names and we gave them a last name so we didn't have last names. And he said, you know, like he thought it was absurd. And of course, he spoke English at this time. And he said, your new name is Norman. And he's like, Norman, like Norman. He's like, Norman. And he's, and then he was getting hit again because he wasn't saying it right. And he said, well, you know, and he, he told me that they didn't have R's in our language. So it sounded so funny. He's like, Norman, <laughs> because don't ever name your kids after me. He goes, my mother didn't have me. And so you look like a Norman, you know, like some Indian agent gave him that name. And, and so I never did name my kids after him, but um, he did say, and then we gave you all your family last names and it's Lewis. So he's like Norman Lewis. And he was, it was such a weird concept to imagine that we don't even have a say over what our names were at that time. And this is in 1920, 1920, 1927, you know, you think about that. It was yesterday to our people. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. But you keep the Lewis name. So we did keep the Lewis name, like, you know, like in anything, you know, but when I'm referring to anyone, I, w- I wouldn't say I'm Cockalaith Lewis. <laughs> I'm just Cockalaith. We, we always go by one name. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. So, and on my government card, I'm Deanna Lewis. Deanna Lewis, granddaughter yeah. of Norman Lewis. Yes. Wow. Crazy, crazy, crazy that people just like, I'm going to give you a name and here it is. And you have no say in it. And it's going to have a letter that your language doesn't even have. Um, that's mm-hmm. brutal. So I know that you you teach about yeah. Indigenous culture and history. Mm-hmm. Um, and can you just share like how who did you teach for? What how did you teach? Like what what does that look like? Well, when I first started out, like my grandfather was my first teacher. And they gotta go, imagine this. I'm an eight-year-old kid. I had no idea I was even indigenous at all because what I thought of indigenous people was feathers, buckskin, teepees, longhouses, songs, you know, language I've never heard, seen any of these things. Yeah. And uh, so this guy came into my classroom and he said he was gonna teach us some indigenous art and and songs and dances and he said can I get anyone to come up and uh dance with me my whole class looked at me (laughs) and I said why are you looking at me I know I'm not shy or anything but come on (laughs) you know I thought I was a ringleader right from the gate but this one kid whispered to me like well aren't you native and I said instantly I said nope no I'm not because you know those things that I thought about what was native and and uh so I said no I don't think so and then it was the first time I thought about color of skin Hmm. and I said maybe my mom is no no my grandpa my grandpa (laughs) and I didn't think if they were that I was right yeah so it was really like Hmm. you know how how did I realize I was the only brown person in my classroom and and I was I was the only indigenous person there and so then the guy 
at the front said, Deanna, come here. And I was like, like, how does he know me? And I went up there and I felt like I was on a pirate ship and I was walking a plank. And I went up and I hid behind him. I remember that feeling. I never forgot that feeling wow. about how did everyone else seem to know I was native, but me. Wow. And and I just said, I said, I don't know any songs or anything. And the guy said, that's okay. I will share the song with you and show you how to dance to it. And it was a warrior song. It was a victory song. And so I fluffed up my feathers and I danced around the classroom and he's drumming and singing and my whole class ran and danced with me. And it just felt like my spirit woke up, like my identity was there. Like yeah, I was yeah. like proud and like, wow, look, everyone embraced it. And, and the guy said, I feel like I lit a spark for you. You're uh-huh. curious now. If uh-huh. you want to know about our culture, you should go talk to your grandfather. He's one of my teachers. I'm like, you know, my grandpa Norman. <laughs> and he said, yeah, he goes, I've known you since the day you were uh-huh. born. Uh-huh. My, my family lived next to your family, our, our whole life in Stockmouth. And I was like, oh my God, like, you know, and so like I had seven aunts, three uncles, 32 first cousins. I have five brothers and a sister. I started asking them and, you know, you just imagine this eight-year-old kid, like we're native, do you know any songs, you know, any history? And they all kept shooing me away. Stop asking silly questions. And I was getting frustrated with it. So I finally went to, I finally got to my grandpa's house who lived 10 kilometers away from me at times. Mm-hmm. And I went running up to him. And then again, I felt silly again. And I said, I go, I go, grandpa, we're native. He goes, you're stomo. I go, stomo? He goes, you're a human being. We don't have any other word for any other nationality or race. We're the two-legged. We bleed the same. We breathe the same. We're stomo. I go, stomo. Oh, is that wow. Squamish language? He said, that's Skohotmash native. And I said, you speak the language? And he goes, of course I do. Before I went to school, that was the only language I ever knew. That's my first language. Yeah. I'm like, what? wow. I go, well, this guy came into my class. He said, who's that? And I said, Rick Harry. He goes, Halactin. He would only say him by his native name, Halactin. And he's one of our most renowned Skohotmish artists to this day, Rick Harry, Halactin. And he lives in Capilano, Homolchison Reserve right now. Hmm. And so I said, well, I don't ever want to feel like this again. So I want you to only speak Skohotmish nation to me. And my grandpa's like, wow. Well, okay, little (laughs) eight-year-old. Yeah. And and they started this beautiful relationship with my grandfather. Oh, so from the time I was eight to 13, he only spoke Skohotmish to me. And I was like guessing, stomp, time, like, what's that? You know, I'm looking at everything. And, and you know, I was his little pupil. And, uh, you know, so straight from the gate, I was, I always learned about my culture. He said, there's only so much I can teach you. You need to go find the medicine people. You need to go find our our, our canoers, our canoe, canoe journey people, and learn about all our ties of our, how our people are connected. Hmm. And so I started doing all that. So all my work I've ever done in my life, it was always in the culture. I was always an ambassador. Even when I played soccer professionally all over the world, I was singing our Coast Salish national anthem everywhere. Like Aww. I'd be in Germany, Brazil, and they did, and it was amazing. And then my grandfather passed away when I was 24. Mm. And I said, who's going to, who's going to teach now? Who's going to share this? Like, I can't be the only one. Cause I realized I was the only one in my family. And one of the rare few in our whole community that knew our language, knew our culture and yeah. identity. And so I felt this big burden on my shoulder. And so I started working in the schools and uh, I was a, I was, I'm a, I kind of a tour, tour guide for years already. I, I trained all the staff at the culture center in Whistler and people are like, you're a guide here, like interpreter guy. Like I'm like, well, I'm the head lead. I teach, I train all the staff here <laughs> about our culture. 
culture and language and all yeah. the exhibits here. And they're like, no, nah, you should be doing seminars or teaching in the schools, this guy said from the state, like just some average Joe. Yeah. I literally left on a Friday and gave my, my, you know, resignation. And I started working for the Squamish school district in Squamish on Monday. And they said, this is the first time we've never had to train somebody. Yeah. I just instantly was sharing the languages, sharing yeah. our artwork and stuff. And then while I was teaching, I was just a cultural worker. So I was just going into classrooms and I was the fun teacher, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And even then, you know, as much as I was a teacher, and a very knowledgeable stuff I felt like this isn't enough I'm not just a fun teacher like I want to talk about hard topics I want to talk about the real topic yeah. I want to tell you why I'm in your class and teaching to you right now and so I went to school and I got my teaching degree mm. and and now I'm a full certified teacher and I teach grade eight nine at, at Don Ross middle school I write all the curriculum even to this day they use my curriculum and I literally wrote the curriculum myself like it was quite amazing so we have a whole language component we have a whole pre-contact uh, and contact and present day presentation. And then we, and one of the really cool things was, is I taught my students in my grade eight, nine class, yeah. and they taught their peers in their social oh, studies no. classes. So nice. it was peer on peer teaching. Yeah. And this is some of the topics that we talk about right now is about, you know, the Indian Act and, and what, what, what was our governance be, be like, was like before contact. And, you know, we had a whole structure of who we were, you know, and without one person, said everything falls apart like it's so important like you miss school today it's only the child that is held back you know they have to work harder um, whereas in our culture like you you are an apprentice to your your granny and you don't go that day granny doesn't do her weaving you know it, everything just falls apart right and so everyone has a purpose and that's missing in today's society and, we, and we're getting back to that in a sense with outdoor-based learning in the schools and mm-hmm. my little girl Quileus which means rain flower that's my daughter's first name we made sure it was in Skahopmish. She's the only Quileus in the whole wide world. Uh-huh. And uh, and she goes to an outdoor-based learning school. It's called Ayat Yothchet. It's a cultural journey school. Oh. And more than half their day, they're outside learning. So they learn their math, science, everything outside. And even when she was in kindergarten, she, um, mm-hmm. th- she said, she came home and she said, Mom, there was a dead deer at our school. She's like, it's okay. We use every part of the deer. We use the stomach wall for our dr- drying our herbs and carrying and water she goes we we make use a hide to make drums and clothing and she's like we even use a hose for our tools and and our sounds to make our rattle and uh, she goes it was a white-tailed deer it was from montana you know (laughs) and it was just like you know this five-year-old coming home with this huge knowledge of all the teachings of everything we use the deer for and you know she came home this year from those same things that the teachings that go on each year she came home now with a drum that she's she's skin to hide with Wow. And it's a, yeah. every year they learn more stuff, and it's just amazing. And she'll come home. Oh, I weave like you now. <laughs> oh, I speak <laughs> like you now, and she'll speak in Stahopmish. And oh. it's really amazing, like the full circle that you know we we have come. You know, just in my lifetime. But at the same time, there's there's always those hardships. Mm. You know, like when when we heard about the 215 children. You know, in Indian country, I say Indian country because I'm Indian in my high. I can yeah. say that, but not ever anyone else can say that and uh, you know let's see a good friend of mine but uh we in indian country we say this was known to us we have always heard these stories of the children that would that never came home yeah uh we do we do blanket
blanket ceremony, a blanket ceremony where we talk about you put yourself in the the, the shoes of a indigenous child uh, or community and see how our children, our villages had no children that the Indian agents came in and took the children soon as oh you look five you're coming with us and and you know you'd see how it devastated a whole community having no children there um if you were holding a potlatch you could get you know you could go to jail for hosting a potlatch that was our governance and uh, having all your possessions taken from you your hair your clothing and you really get put in the in the shoes of an indigenous person and how you know the children would go away to school and you're talking you know a whole school system like some kids never got to home in their summers or anything and they my grandpa you know he was only allowed to go home two times a year once on your birthday and once for Christmas they didn't have summers they they had to stay there all year round and my grandpa said so I only got to go home once a year because his birthday was on Christmas day so he was uh you know and I said well at least on your birthday everyone was at your birthday I was trying to cheer him up that way. He goes, well, I never really looked at it that way. I always just felt short. As a, as a child, your birthday yeah. is so important and family is so important. I couldn't even mm-hmm. imagine. I know kids freak out when they have to go to camp for a week, right? And missing yeah. their family. I, I couldn't even imagine. Yeah. My, yeah. you know, my, my husband, and I don't talk on the podcast about my husband much because he's very introverted, um, but he grew up in New Zealand and, and he didn't learn about our indigenous people. He was learning about his own, right? The Maori. And so when this all came out, he said to me, tell me about this. And I, and I said what I knew. And then he went, you know, into searching about everything. And, and then he was sitting there, we're sitting on my patio and he's just like, this is ridiculous. Like, do you know this happened and this happened and this happened. And so while, while you and your people knew about this, I think the world has woken up Mm -hmm. because you can't ignore it. Right. No. And this is, and that's that tangible evidence that it's right in your face. It's now. And I feel like we we're finding that we have allies, we have empathy there. Whereas before, like, you know, when I, when I was a child, like people didn't even know they were indigenous, like myself, like that was our reality. Like they wanted to be the farthest thing from it. Right. And is, and yeah, I want to ask so, about that. So mm-hmm. what, what kind of stopped you from knowing your culture and, and so my grandfather told me that he didn't want us to go through what he went through so that's why he never taught his kids he never let them go to residential school though either but my mother said you know just the normal school here in Squamish that they went to there was it was full of racism even when I was a child like I'd be called a Navajo and I'd be fighting with with somebody because they called me a Navajo and I'm not a Navajo (laughs) you know I'm Coast Salish I'm Squamish nation and I didn't have those tools when we were children that information and now my kids are are tools with this information and they also they'll tell you i'm kosala this is what our people went through my sons i'm not waiting seven generations to heal our people it starts now we're breaking these cycles now and you know like i said my little girl's so proud of being indigenous right and uh it's just that changing of that mindset because we were told we're dirty and savage our whole life i'll tell you something really horrible you know my grandfather was 79 when he passed away but just before he passed away like he was like, I was getting him ready to go to a lacrosse game. Mm-hmm. And he didn't leave his house in a long time. He's a, he became a real hermit. He didn't like people seeing him old. Like he was a amazing athlete and stuff. But <laughs> I said, you know, you, you're healthy right now. I changed your diet. Like, let's get out there and we're going to go to a lacrosse game. 
in North Vancouver. And he, um, he was, there was this cleaning product in his shower and right in there with his shampoo and everything. It was Dettol and he had a metal scrubber there and he would rub Dettol and the scrubber on his skin. To bleach his that, skin? To bleach his skin. And I said, why do you do that grandpa? That's Even not in good 70s. for you. 79 years old. He He said, I'm going to go to hell because of the color of my skin. And I said, you're not going to hell, Grandpa. said, you're going to the native burial ground. You don't need this. And I threw it away. And I was so broken, right? And the next day, he had another bottle of dental. He got his his, uh, home care worker to bring him another bottle. It's just, it was in his brain. It was so ingrained in him. Wow. So he could imagine that how he felt like being told every day as a child that, you know, you're going to hell for the color of your skin or if you're speaking your language or sharing your culture. And I, I know that had to be for a lot of people, but there was lots of, you know, there was people, you know, amazing survivors that, you know, they, they could teach what they knew. You know, some didn't know their language, but they knew lots of our, our traditional work, you know, like weaving and, and carving and stuff like that, yeah. uh, or fishing rights. And I mean, they were amazing in their own right but they they had a piece of the puzzle and uh, that's why my grandpa said you got to go find all those p- puzzle pieces Put it everywhere on. everyone has their gifts too so they you got to hone in on other people's gifts and learn about it yeah. and so he taught me that and it was like a really hard thing and and that's why I knew like you know my grandpa you know he talked about uh government officials or um teachers or anything I was like my mom doesn't even come to my school you know and like I'm in the play you know my mom would never come and I just thought she doesn't like me or she doesn't care you know and uh everyone else's parents are there you know and I didn't have anyone I might invite one of my older cousins to be like that adult figure for me they'd come on my class trips and stuff but my mom wouldn't and uh and and it was because she didn't like authority figures she was treated badly growing up so that system that cycle continues right and now I smother my kids I'm in their school I'm everywhere (laughs) with them I coach them in soccer I know where the what their every move is and and you know and it's just like it's it's great. And my eldest daughter and I have the most amazing relationship. She does a lot of the medicinal plant walks with me and, oh, cool. you know, and so it's carrying on and, and it's just amazing to know that where we've come, you know, I still always say I'm, I'm doing the best that I can with what was dealt to me. My mom was the meanest person I knew growing up, you know, and she just celebrated her 30 year sobriety last week. That's amazing. And she saw, she showed me that I can do anything in my life because I didn't, you know, she was so stuck in that dysfunction, you know, because she just thought, you know, what was told her that she was like lazy, dirty Indian in, in that sense and treated it as such growing up. And, yeah, yeah. you know, and I only knew I was an alcoholic when I was a child. I raised all her kids, you know, they're all younger than me. And when I was 14, I moved away and my mom got them taken away and told she had to quit drinking or she wouldn't get her kids back. And she did quit and uh, she went because they told her to go and then she got out and she said I have to go back in now because I need to do it for myself because I've done nine months of sobriety like being pregnant and things so she goes I got to go back I got to do longer than I ever have or I'm not gonna break this cycle Mm. and she went back and she's never touched alcohol in her whole life since then and and so those are breaking those huge you know roadblocks you know that have plagued our people you know yeah I celebrate her sobriety more than any any holiday any birthday (laughs) or anything 
it. Yeah. I had my whole family here. The reality of, of these kids being in the residential schools and not getting the love. Yes. The culture was ripped away. Yes. The language, like all that Mm -hmm. and the love of a parent and the love of a community. So to have this whole multiple generations there who didn't know what it felt like to be loved by your family, to have Mm -hmm. that care and concern and to have the complete opposite where you can't trust adults because they do horrible, they can do horrible things to you was there a lot of their experiences. So Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just imagining how hard it was for Norman to have kids and to, to parent when he didn't get that feeling for so many years. You know, he thought what parenting was, was providing food and shelter. There was no affection piece. There was no yeah. time with the, with the children. Like he was just always working, you know? Yeah. yeah, that was it. It was just like go time, hard life. We got to do this. We got to do that. And uh, he said he had to learn to be a parent and yeah. learn how to love as an elder. Yeah. And he said, when you have your children, he said, hold them, put them on your lap and hold them. Don't stand up when you're, you know, disciplining them and talking to them and you, you have to be hard on them. He said, go down to their level they're gonna think you're a monster if you stand over them and he taught me these things and I didn't have kids yet and I was and he would tell me those things you know he said I have deep regret that I didn't love my children they that they felt like I didn't love them and my mom to this day I don't think she's I, I've told her that he said those things but I know she was she heard them from him yeah because even still that affection piece wasn't there like you know it's still awkward even when I hug my mom and I, I, I got to say, she loves me. I'm like, I love you. She's like, love you too. And I'm like, she said it you know <laughs> this is when I was a so teenager great. and now it's like yeah. we hug and everything now but it's like it, we had to learn this you know I think that's a basic thing that you would you would be born with I was a teenager the first time I heard she loved me oh. so that was tough yeah. yeah but it sounds like that spark that was ignited by that elder when you were eight yeah that you now get to do that for other kids mm-hmm. and your and daughter the, and our children are growing up to be so proud yes and it's just you're equipping them with the tools of who they are and where they come from. And you, you know, this, I say, and I always believe in health and wellness. And I can tell you this from experience that, you know, all those aunties and uncles that I have, they're all gone now mm-hmm. and they died miserably. And I believe they, cause they didn't get healing. They li- learned, lived in serious dysfunction, you know, and they'd lived the best that they could. My mom's 66 years old and all, she was a middle child and all of them are gone. Yeah. Even her younger siblings, like way younger than her. What my youngest auntie was 37 when she died. Yeah. And uh, I'm at the age right now that my grandmother was, and she was murdered in downtown east side at 44 years old and so this is a reality that I'm dealing with right now so I always say you know we're always trying to do better we're always trying to get up from that things that's been weighing us down like I have to see the grief on my mom's face every day when she tells me how much she misses all her siblings and when we had our sobriety dinner all my first cousins were here there she's our matriarch and they're like they they were like we have to come here they were saying they had plans I'm like um no you don't you're coming to mom's sobriety oh yeah come and dropped everything yeah like all my cousins and they, my mom means so much to them right because she's you know she's here and she's showing us another way yeah you know and she's it's so good to hear the light that is coming from your family and knowing like this is not to take away from the reality that is today and to know that I think the important thing is and, and I am not 
in any way thinking that I'm an expert at this. I have so much to learn about this and all the other things that I think Canadian society needs to know about. But the whole thing that this is not just the past, this is not the history, mm -hmm. that people did survive the residential schools and they continue to have to survive every day based on the trauma that was inflicted on them. And now mm -hmm. the fam, everybody's dealing with this. And yeah. so how can the settlers, how can us, you know, white people, and, and now everybody that's in Canada who came here from other countries, how can we stand together with you? Like I saw, I saw a TikTok video or something and, and this indigenous man said, don't give us sympathy. Acknowledge that this happened and stand with us. And so mm -hmm. how do we, how do we do that? I, I call it being good allies, you know, like we yeah. always say, being good allies, being good neighbors, even because we all live here. I always say this and it's an elder told me and she talked to me about when she went to residential school and she said, all I ever asked is to give me a hug. She was never hugged in school. And she said, you know, just show that kind of kindness to others, like yeah. not necessarily hug her, but show affection to others, you know, be kind to others, you know, even though if you don't know them, you have different walks of life or anything. Yeah. You don't, we don't know where they've walked. We don't know what anyone's been through. And people can say they don't know lots even now, but have that kind of care as someone that you would, that you care for, yeah. you know, treat someone that you, how you want to be treated. And, uh, and I just say, just be good neighbors to each other. You know, like I see my friends on the soccer field, you know, and teachers that I went to school with and they, they apologize to me. They acknowledge how they treated me growing up. So oh, some of the ones that oh. called me a Navajo and stuff, like they were crying, weeping that they didn't know what I was going through. And I said, how could you know? Like, I'm not going to openly tell you my grievances. Right. And, um, but just to be, just to be kind to others is what I always say. Yeah. Too. Yeah. yeah. And so as we kind of draw this to a close, if someone was wanting to bring you in or someone in to teach about indigenous culture like the real way and the mm -hmm. truth not just the fun stuff um yeah. how would someone how would you suggest someone go about doing that is that something you can do or you have connections how how can they so do i it? have many different ways you can look at this you know talese tours does amazing tours at stanley park so in a good setting she can do them via gopro zoom meetings or she oh, can cool. have you in person. I'm going to be with 22 students on Wednesday at Stanley Park. So myself, my daughter, she has a whole amazing crew of people that work for our company. And we talk about the history of, of our society, especially what we're going through right now. And it's in the in the public eye. But yeah. uh, it's a safe environment to talk to someone indigenous. And and these are all teachers by trade, like they're all teachers. Yeah. Nice. And on those culture journeys that I talked about. Yeah. And so they all have their gifts of sharing, you know, and we all have our different stories. Yeah. And then, so that's one avenue through Chalese Tourists because they're, they're a teaching group. They go to schools. They can kind of go anywhere, but they like to be out on the land teaching. Mm. But we have other programs like I even myself go to schools and share. Mm -hmm. You know, we do we do like different things uh, with whole schools. We have a Skohomish days, like a whole day of learning of that's events awesome. and stuff. Um, we can set something up like that as well. And then we have different people in our community through our child service 
the families and families that have cultural teachers that go to the schools or they go to businesses. You know, there's there's a company called Work and Better Together by Bobby Joseph. Mm. There's many programs. If you Google um, some workshops with Indigenous yeah. people, there's some amazing people throughout BC and Canada for that matter that teach this culture and share. So when you ask me about it, I'm like, I do this. This is what I well, do. You actually offered, right? And so yeah. this is kind of behind the scenes. I was just heartbroken with all of this. And, and I play soccer with a, a whole team of Indigenous <laughs> women that I've, I'm getting to know. And so I just said in, in a post in our Facebook group, like, I'm, I don't know what to say, but like, I stand with you. And, and you were like, oh, I'll teach you. Like anything you want to know, I'll teach yeah. you. Like, well, I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say yes to this. And, you know, the ability to have you come and speak to my listeners, the Dynamic Women listeners is just a true honor. I appreciate you like making that comment. Be like, <laughs> I'll teach you. I'm like, sweet. That's yeah, so awesome. And I'm always, I always love to, help my friends and Mm -hmm. and this is what it is it's what about it's connecting people together and and on a common ground in a safe environment exactly you know and and that's what I want you know I don't want the hostility that we've had forever and like I said there's no blame in anyone it's just about sharing love and compassion for each other and and saying that this did happen because I I I used to be told I was a liar for talking about residential schools and and things like that and so it was it was really hard and uh and I even on my 10-year grad reunion at Carson Graham my yeah. social studies teacher apologized to me as well wow because he said we didn't know this stuff in school yeah so and so that I think there's that saying like when you know you can do better and so I think that that is our responsibility to know and so mm-hmm. I know you said you know you teach on pre-contact history mm-hmm. contact history and present day and so um I'm going to get a lot of the links that you mentioned a lot of the websites yeah. and things and your direct contact information if you'll allow that I'll put all yeah. of that in the show notes so that anyone listening can can easily reach out I'm also going to put in there the link to make a donation to uh and I'm it's I'm drawing a blank but it's for the survivors of of the residential school I'll put the website in there so that you can make a donation if that's something if this is to listeners if that's something that you would like to do and you know there's there's little things in your community I'm sure I noticed that there's uh, another girl on our um, soccer team I know her is Brooke do you know her indigenous name yes I I I can't say it I can't say it I have to see it and I know how to say it okay but anyway and she's making uh, beautiful earrings um, that mm-hmm. have 215 beads in them. Um, and so there are, I encourage those listening that if you do want to um, make a donation or, you know, support a local artist and it really just supports the culture as well as educates yourself on, on what's going on and can create that connection to the culture that maybe, or to the person who is keeping alive this culture. Yeah. So I'm going to have to get me a pair of those earrings because that, yeah, the, the meaning behind them that she did because they're meant to have 214 and she added one single extra bead. Cause it was just, it was a perfect meaning for what we're going through. So thank you again. Wow. Deanna, you're welcome for um, 
OCM. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. I appreciate it so much. And to our listeners, check the show notes, um, click a couple of links. I encourage you to just, uh, to learn more. We're always learning. I've, I've lots to learn still in this and, uh, please share this episode. Uh, Dana has given of her time and her knowledge and her culture and her cool stories that she has. And, uh, so I encourage you to share with a friend, Uh, share on your social media platform so that we can just continue to bring more awareness and knowledge. Um, And now uh, what I've taken away from this is the spark and the pride in this culture. And Mm -hmm. I love, I love to hear that that is alive in this, the younger generation and, uh, and congrats on being one Mm -hmm. of the ambassadors of that. Thank you. Okay, everyone until next time, stay dynamic. Bye. dynamic women for joining us today please hop on over to itunes to subscribe and leave us a review who do you know who needs to hear our message we'd love it if you'd share our channel with your friends and family if you're ready to be more dynamic have more balance and more success head over to www.dynamicwomenclub.com forward slash free gift for your key to success book stay dynamic